I'd like to invite us to a time of uh, meditation and prayer. I invite you to bow your heads with me, enter into a time of silence to give you space to step into that, uh, that place and form your own prayers of confession or thanksgiving, maybe praying on behalf of someone else, or just maybe just being silent in God's presence, and I'll lead us in family prayer time after we've had that time on our own. Our loving God, we acknowledge that you are the sovereign Lord of all the earth and that you are the Lord of history. We pray today on behalf of our world that you might guide the leaders of our nation and other nations in ways of peace. We pray particularly for the conflict in Syria and for the leaders of our nations, a nation as they make decisions. And we pray that you might give us hearts that are open to your path. We pray, particularly during this time, your watch, care, and loving provision over those who are serving in our military and all of their families, that you might keep them safe, that you might watch over them. We pray, dear God, for our community, that you might help us to uh, learn to relate and to solve problems together here in Jefferson City and Cole County. And on this Labor Day weekend, we pause to thank you for the gift of work, for the dignity and the sense of accomplishment that it brings, for the way that work can be fulfilling for us personally, and for the way that it can contribute to the common good. But Lord, we also remember on this weekend those who are without work, those who are seeking employment, and those who are underemployed, who are working for insufficient wages. And help us, Lord, to always remember that we are bound up together in the fabric of our community and our society, that we might seek your ways. Bless the lives in our congregation that are hurting due to illness and grief, personal struggles, private crises. We pray that you might bless in a powerful way. We pray that you might help us in our relationships, free us from self-pity and from grudges, teach us to live in the open air and the freedom of grace and forgiving one another. Help us in our walk with you to live with faith-filled imagination, to believe that life can be different and can be new. Forgive us for our sins and fill us with your spirit and guide us today as we think your thoughts and listen attentively to your word. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I'd like to read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verses 32 and following. Uh, Some of you, most of you know, hopefully, that we've been in the Gospel of Luke this entire calendar year, and we've been doing a series on prayer, particularly from Luke's perspective, what Luke can teach us about what Jesus can teach us about prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. And this is the concluding sermon in the series. And uh, this morning I'll be reading from Luke 23, beginning in verse 32, and I invite you to stand with me as... uh, God's word comes among us, and as I read it aloud, you follow along silently and prayerfully. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus 
there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do do you not fear God, seeing you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light faded, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. God's word for us. May he bless it. You may be seated. Well, for this concluding sermon in this series on prayer, uh, we're going to an unusual place because this is a section of Scripture that's usually reserved for Holy Week or Good Friday or Palm Sunday, the story of Jesus' crucifixion. But it's also a passage of Scripture that is rich with instruction about prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. I, uh, I get amused at people who uh, read sermon titles and who've been frantically trying all week trying to figure out what the 11-word prayer is. Uh, you know, our church is full of bean counters. We've got uh, engineers, we've got accountants, we've got math teachers, and nobody could read the prayers of Jesus from uh, the 23rd chapter of Luke and figure out what the 11 words are and... Uh, That's okay, that just means you're paying attention, right? Well, here they are. They are, Father, forgive them. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. I just took two of Jesus' prayers, two of his famous seven last sayings on the cross, and I put them together in sort of a composite prayer because I believe that these words can change our lives if we pray them and mean them. What's more, I believe that these words can prepare us for death whenever that comes for us. Father, forgive them. And Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus taught us to pray. And if we're watching and listening carefully, we'll hear some instruction that Jesus has for us. The first prayer, Father, forgive them. Now we know that Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, to say, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or the different phrasing, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Jesus taught us to pray that. We pray that all the time when we pray the Lord's Prayer. We also know that Jesus uh, taught us in Luke uh, 6, 28 
to pray for those who abuse us. When we are abused, we are to pray for others. But see, it's one thing for Jesus to teach us to pray to forgive other people, but it's another thing to do it. Jesus not only taught us, Jesus modeled for us how to pray for your enemy at the very moment when your enemy is wounding you and destroying you. Jesus was innocent. Jesus didn't deserve what was happening to him on the cross. Jesus was without sin. Jesus was light, and, and the sins of the world couldn't stand that light, and they hated him, and they, and they killed him. Jesus did not deserve this. And everybody here this morning knows what it feels like to have something happen to you that you did not deserve. Everyone here this morning knows what it feels like to be wounded by someone that you thought loved you and supported you. We know that sense of betrayal, that, that sense of pain, and then that sense of justice that rises up within us and that wants to make everything right. And yet Jesus gave up all those rights. And on the cross, while he's dying, he prays, Father, forgive them. Practicing the grace that he taught and that he preached about and that he even included in the prayer. That's instruction showing us how to forgive those who are wounding us. It was November 14, 1940. The German bombers were dropping incendiaries all over England, and they targeted that night the city of Coventry, England. They absolutely devastated the beautiful, historic Coventry Cathedral. Uh, it was a, a, a pile of ruins the next morning. Someone found some charred pieces of oak beam and made a cross out of it. And to this day, when you visit Coventry Cathedral, there is an, an altar that's called a memorial altar, and those two beams of charred oak are there as a reminder. They are there at a special memorial altar in that beautiful cathedral. And a lot of people don't know this, but the original inscription in that memorial region where those two pieces of charred wood make the cross, the original inscription read, Father, forgive them. Sometime early in its history, someone erased a word. And now there's a new plaque that simply reads, Father, forgive. Because there was an acknowledgement that any time there's war, there's guilt to go around. That any time there's, there's hatred, we're all culpable. That we are all sinners in need of grace. We are all sinners in need of forgiveness. So the plaque simply reads, Father, forgive. To move it closer in time to our own particular uh, crisis internationally, since the civil war in Syria the last couple of years, refugees have been streaming out of that country into any region they can find for safety, for food, and for shelter. By the hundreds, by the thousands. 
And our Baptist World Alliance sisters and brothers have told us an amazing story. The Syrians most easily have fled to Lebanon, their neighboring country. But there's a problem that we may not understand here in the West. Some of the Lebanese despise the Syrians. And the Syrians despise the Lebanese because of tribal warfare that's ancient, because of religion, because of culture, because of language, because of past wars and past practices. And there were those Lebanese when the civil war started in Syria that said to themselves, you know, this is what they deserve, these Syrians. They're finally getting their comeuppance. They're finally getting what what is just for them and good enough for them. But an amazing thing has happened. In the Baptist church in Zali, Zebanon, in, in Zali, Lebanon, in Zali, Lebanon, the congregation started praying for their enemies, the Syrians. And as they began to pray faithfully for their Syrian neighbors, the pastor of the Zali Baptist Church reports that God began to do a work in the life of his congregation. He said there began to grow within the hearts of the people compassion. There began to grow in the hearts of his people forgiveness. And because of that, because of the praying, 50 Lebanese Baptist families are feeding 500 Syrian refugees. And those Syrian refugees are learning about the love of Jesus Christ because somebody's heart got turned in the process of praying. At the beginning of this sermon series, I invited you to send email or some kind of uh, communication to me about your questions and your victories and blessings regarding prayer. One particular member of our church who has gone through an amazing and painful time of betrayal, uh, the, uh, the sort of pain that you would not believe in this person's life. And this was the comment. I've noticed over the last year, prayer keeps our hearts tender when life's circumstances may try to turn them hard. And I simply say, I couldn't have said it better myself. Prayer keeps our hearts tender when life's circumstances would tend to turn our hearts hard. There are some of us here this morning who have experienced incredible loss and incredible pain. Maybe a relationship betrayal, a divorce a broken relationship, a broken promise, maybe job-related treachery, maybe personal. But here's the point. We can spend all of our energy on the bitterness and the self-pity, or we can turn that energy into praying for our enemies and praying for those who've betrayed us. We can spend all of our time and all of our energy dreaming up revenge and fantasizing what a perfect world would be like, or we can take that same time and energy and we can pour it into praying by name for the person who has wounded us. 
And I have to acknowledge to you, sometimes I forget to do this. And I realize I've, I've been using up valuable energy, fantasizing uh, getting even or fantasizing how wounded I am and, and wanting, wanting the whole world to know how, how special I am, that my, that my heart has been hurt. And then, I, and then occasionally I wake up and I realize I need to just start praying for this person. And, and when I do, I, I have a report for you. When I do, pray for the person who has hurt me by name. An amazing thing begins to happen. God works in that person's life, and sometimes that person doesn't even know that I've been praying, and God works in my life. It's an amazing change that happens when we simply do what Jesus did and what Jesus taught us to do, to pray for those who hurt us. And maybe we don't pray because we really deep down don't want to change. We don't want to let go of the grudge. It probably would not surprise you that Dietrich Bonhoeffer had an important something to say about this subject. Bonhoeffer, you know, the German pastor who was arrested because of complicity in a plot to overthrow Hitler. Bonhoeffer was executed just a couple of weeks before the Allied troops liberated his camp. An amazing theologian who only lived to the age 39 He wrote one time, he said, it's only when we hand the other person over into God's hands that we ever see them as they really are. It's only when we give them over into God's hands in prayer that we ever really see them as they truly are. As long as we try to hold on to them, we want a caricature of them. We want to be able to despise them. We want to see their faults. We want to see their wrongs. We want to see their mistakes. But when we hand them over into God's hands, we see them as God sees them. And we see them as they are, rather than our caricature of them. And we learn to pray, Father, forgive them. And Father, forgive me. The second part of that prayer, that that composite prayer that we can pray, the 11-word prayer that can change your life. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Now, most people know that Jesus died with a prayer on his lips. But what some people don't know is that Jesus died with Scripture on his lips. Did you know that prayer, forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. Forgive, uh, into your hands I commend my spirit. I'm sorry. Into, into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. You know that prayer is from Scripture? It's from Psalm 31, verse 5. I know because I used it yesterday in a memorial service that I conducted. Into your hands I commend my spirit. Psalm 31, 5. Jesus prayed Scripture. Jesus' life was soaked in Scripture His life was saturated in the truth of God so that when he prayed, naturally Scripture came out. Eugene Peterson says that when somebody asks him, how do I pray? Uh, Pastor, why don't you teach me to pray? He always says to them one thing. You know what he says? He says, go to the Psalms. Start praying the Psalms. Pray the book of Psalms. In fact, Eugene Peterson says, maybe one of the reasons that we don't pray very well is that we're not very well acquainted with the native language of prayer. 
the native language of prayer is Scripture, particularly the Psalms. And he says maybe the reason we're not very comfortable praying is that we're not very comfortable with the native language of prayer, which is Scripture and the Psalms. Now, when we say pray the Psalms, we don't mean that you learn to use King James English and use words like thee and thou unless you're comfortable with them, or mayest and sayest and thouest and, and, and sort of Shakespearean English. We're not talking about that being the language of prayer. We're talking about the language of uh, vibrant praise and humble repentance, the language of quiet meditation, the language of, of longing and seeking, the language of gut-level honesty, the language of uh, angry questioning and peaceful acceptance, the language of prayer. Now, Jesus didn't just pray this prayer when he was dying. I believe Jesus prayed this prayer hundreds of times because it's a prayer for a living. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. That's a prayer for a living. If you practice that prayer, you will get over the notion that you're in charge of your life. You know that notion that we all have? That we're in charge? That illusion we have that we're in control? We think we're in control and then a pink slip comes with the next paycheck stub? We think we're in control and then the police show up on our doorsteps and say we have bad news. We think we're in control and the doctor walks in with a pathology report. We think we're in control and our parents sit us down and say we need to talk to you about our marriage. We're not in control. And the honest discipline of praying, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit as a way of praying to acknowledge that every day life is fragile. And every day we learn to trust God and to acknowledge that we are not in charge, that we need His mercy and His grace and His strength. Are you beginning to sense that this second part of this prayer, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, it's a prayer for living and for dying. In fact, think about this. By preparing to die, we have automatically prepared to live. Think about that. By preparing to die, we've automatically prepared to live. And by preparing to live, we have automatically prepared to die. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I acknowledge that my life belongs to you. And I want you to see that these two prayers are closely connected. Father, forgive them. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. They're closely connected because who wants to stand before the Lord when our life is over? Who here wants to stand before the Lord with unforgiveness in our heart or some grudge? Who here wants to stand before the Lord with some of that gunk sticking to our souls when it doesn't have to.
to be able to stand in front of the Lord on that day with our hearts clean and fresh and unencumbered by the, by the stuff that, that tends to build up. They're related. The prayer for our enemy and the prayer of submission, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. We know through our Jewish friends and from Bible historians that this prayer is a prayer that Jewish mothers taught their children. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Just like we taught our children, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Jewish moms taught their children. So here again, Joseph and Mary deserve some credit. They are the unsung hero and heroine of the New Testament. As their little child was growing up, they taught him to pray. And they taught him to pray his bedtime prayer, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Can't you just see Jesus as a toddler on Mary's lap after a hard day of playing, following his daddy around in the carpentry shop, dusty and dirty and tired, and he's on his mommy's lap. She reminds him to say his prayers, and he starts, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, and he falls asleep. And then years later, stretched out on pieces of wood, dying for us. He prays it once again because he knew what to pray when the day was ending. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. And then, Scripture says, he breathed his last. He went to sleep. So here we are. After all of the pain of life, after all of the struggle of life, after all of our questions and whys, after all of our confusion, after all of our grudge-bearing, after all of that, when it's all done, we will be able to pray and mean, Father, forgive them, and Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And God has promised He will be waiting for us on that other side. And God has promised that He will be there for us. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. Pray with me, please.